Hello and welcome to another episode of the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry and if you've really enjoyed this podcast so far, consider helping me keep it running by contributing to my Patreon. This chat is with Damien James Webb, a super talented and very cool Canadian miniature artist and model maker who's currently working at Little Canada in downtown Toronto. Damien got his start building sets for theater and then kept scaling down smaller and smaller and smaller, 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 smaller until he was building tiny, tiny sets for miniature projects. In our chat, he's gonna share how we got into it, what opportunities exist for miniature artists, what tools you need to get started and everything in between. Uh, but first, this episode is sponsored by Hue, makers of wonderful, colorful, plug-and-play cameras for learning, work, and play. Originally designed for teachers, Hue cameras can also be used for creative activities such as capturing hand-drawn pencil tests, shooting behind-the-scenes footage, time-lapse videos, and stop-motion animation. Their cameras have flexible, posable necks, manual focus controls, and they're compatible with DragonFrame, OBS, Twitch, Zoom, and many other camera apps. Visit HueHD.com to learn more and follow at Hue Cameras on social media for news, fun, and giveaways. And as always, get 10% off any Hue product from HueHD.com with code 10TerryAIP. And all of that is in the description of this chat, so please go check it out. And now, without further ado, let's jump in. Hello, Damien. Hi. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't know. <laughs> you know that you're... Well, are you going to answer me? How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Great. You know, you're one of the few like handful of podcast guests that I've actually met in person who I haven't specifically worked with. So congratulations. Thank you. I'm honored. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> great. Okay. So you are a min miniaturist, I guess. Is that what you'd call it? Yeah. Uh, for a long time, I went just by, I was like a miniature artist rather than miniaturist. That was my, that was my way to like sneakily shift myself into being a miniaturist but that just sounds like you're a very tiny person yeah or i'm a min i'm a tiny person enthusiast okay. <laughs> i don't know Min. okay so okay so i thought i said i was going to ask you this, this is our first question yeah. why aren't you working in stop motion if you're a miniaturist uh so because i started in theater uh and i did I learned how to do set design in theater and I built sets in miniature for theater. Wait, and you've built sets in miniature for theater. Yes. So uh, somebody goes to a show, a, a theater show. Yep. And uh, you've built a miniature set that they're looking at. Yeah. So in stage design, you start off with a maquette of like a, a white model basically and sometimes it, it evolves a little bit more and you do a really detailed version of that model as well and so i learned that in school in uni and then uh when i finally got a career in theater i was restoring and building maquettes for shows at the theater that i worked at it never occurred to me once that a theater production would need a maquette yeah but it makes sense when you think about it, though, because totally. a director is trying to sell the show or trying to like choreograph scene changes or uh, trying to translate something to the lighting, you know, yeah. trying to, you know, and, it, and then that if you get a really nice detailed, like painted model, 
sometimes those models are just directly handed to the production team and then they can just build the set from that. All the colors are right. All the dimensions are correct. And they wow. know that it's going to fit on the stage. That yeah. Makes total sense. Um, you said that when they're selling a show, does that mean that if a director is trying to like pitch a show, they'll have a maquette made? Sometimes, and yes. And they'll like, act out in little finger puppets? Like, yeah. The, you, they will? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, Wait, this I have is known real? Yeah, oh, I've known goodness. people that do this. I don't, not the whole, like the little, little puppet show, but I do know. So there's a, something called a white model that's just it's a foam core box basically of the rough dimensions of the stage. And then uh, you see these a lot more for like proscenium theaters, like standard stage theaters. Like you'd go to Broadway and, you know, see a show there. That's a proscenium theater. Um, but they're just be, they'll be just like flat hand drawn or sketched like scenes that are just on cardstock and just like stood up with tape and they'll just, Kind of get the gist of what the show is. Um, this is hilarious to me. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I want to be in a professional meeting where somebody does a little puppet show with little hand-drawn cards, and and that's how they. And then I'm like, yeah, I'll invest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've been in some. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. It's, so it's you, very so strange. I still don't quite understand. People were watching a theater production where there's a tiny set in there. Is it part of the play? No, 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 no. So the 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 maquette is strictly for production, right, 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 and right, for right. build stuff. So nobody, so it's like, okay, yeah, I understood that, but I thought there was also a component where you were making a tiny set for. There theater. are some shows that have done that, where there is a like a dollhouse scale model or like a a quarter inch scale model on stage that they are manipulating and then. The stage manipulates to go with it. Okay. But it, yeah, it's few, few and far between. So this is a long-winded question that you didn't even answer. I didn't answer, no. <laughs> because if you have all these maquette building to proportion, painting, uh, material knowledge, uh, skills, yep. and there are, you know, you're from the East Coast of Canada, and there are Kinda. stop motion productions going on. There's the NFB, which usually does a stop motion production and people need to build sets for that. Mm -hmm. There's um, Clyde Henry Productions, which is building something right now. And they've got all these, like the, if you see what they've got on Instagram, they've got all this crazy like set stuff. There's, you know, there was productions here in Toronto. There was the Stupid Buddy production, Ultra City Smith, which I worked on, which needed tons of miniature stuff. Yep. Um, so... How have you not been able to, or have you wanted to cross over to stop motion? I'm oh, just directly attacking yeah. you. So, okay. So this is, it's a long winded question. Um, yes. Sorry. It's, it's a very, because this goes back to, so if we go back to uh, before I even went to university. Um, so when I was in high school, I took all three years of high school, I took, um, architectural design and that's kind of what i wanted to do going into university however i walked out of my calculus exam in my third year and i didn't do the right electives and i just didn't have the right stuff to get into the program and i didn't want to do stuff like i didn't want to take a year off i wanted to go into university right away um but i had learned cad 
like I learned hand drafting and computer drafting when I was in this program. And I was also in the theater program in high school. Like I did acting and stuff. So the world's kind of could cross over. And so as an alternative to doing the architectural design, um, my grandmother at the time suggested I take this program at Grant McEwen in Edmonton. Um, that was a theater production course, two years. You learn some theater. A lot of the traits are like a lot of the stuff that I knew in high school and did in high school kind of translated themselves well into this kind of a program. So I was like, why not? I'll give it a go. Um, and so that's how I found myself in theater. And then once I got out of that program, I got married soon afterwards. So I got married when I was like 21 and then moved out East from Edmonton. So I used to live in Alberta and then I moved into the middle of nowhere in the East coast with no job prospects lined up, no apartment or anything. We just kind of left and moved there. And we were about two hours away from Halifax, which is where any of the big industry stuff would be happening at all. And I didn't get any theater work coming out of school. I worked as a night guard, like a, a security guard and a receptionist, overnight receptionist for a hotel out in the middle of nowhere in the East Coast in Nova Scotia. Um, and I did that for nine years. Oh, wow. But that entire time that I was there, I wanted to, I wanted to build miniatures. I wanted so desperately to be classified as a model maker or a miniaturist in some regard. And so knowing that I didn't have ready access to possibilities and I didn't know anybody, I didn't have any connections. I like, I, I was green. I was, I was very fresh. And so I just said to myself, okay, I'm just going to build stuff for myself. And so I was working nights. And so it was like the perfect thing to do when I had a day off, I still stayed up overnight. I didn't like, I didn't flip flop my schedule. Um, so on my nights off, I would stay up all night and sit at my desk and just work on something. And then this was before I even had an Instagram, I was doing stuff and whatever I built that evening, I would take a photo of it and then I would upload it to Flickr, <laughs> which I don't know if anybody uses Flickr anymore, but nope. that, that was, <laughs> yeah, nope. But that was my social media, like platform in a way I was holding myself responsible for completing something every day. I was posting a picture of something, whether it was done or not, every single day onto Flickr. And wow. then eventually I found myself, I found Instagram and I, I moved everything over to Instagram. And then I just continued that. And I did that for nine years. Every single day I built something or I finished something. I painted something. Maybe I sketched something out and I would take a photo and I'd post it on Instagram every single day. Every Like without fail, like every single day? Yeah. For nine years. For nine years? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but that's what allowed 
and we're getting into like how I built my followers and that kind of thing. But it, you know, it was that like self push to be constantly doing something and constantly building a portfolio and getting better at what I was doing and using the materials that I had and doing. And I started pushing the limits of those materials. And then that started getting me more interest from from other people. And then yeah. eventually I found a gallery in Halifax and I was like, okay, well, how, what can I do with this? I'll go into an open call for an art show. And so I put a couple of pieces into this gallery in Halifax and then they're like, Hey, we love this. Can you do a whole show just of your stuff? And I was like, Oh, okay. And so for a month, um, I was banging out miniature projects like one a day, basically. And I would, I built these little art pieces that were miniatures. And so then I categorized myself as a miniature artist there. So what, it, what are these things that you're building? Cause one a day uh, yeah. sounds, sounds like not a lot of time to make something. Uh, so I kept a lot of the pieces small. I did do some that were larger. Um, so what would be an example of a piece? Uh, so for like something that I did in a day, day or two, um, I made a, so there was this series of, <laughs> there's this series of characters that I used to make called Rockefellas, um, that were like little rocks that I found on the beach of the place that I worked at. And I would take them and I would add little like hands and feet to them and create characters using the little stones. They are way far back in my Instagram. This is like 2015, probably. Um, yeah, and I don't want to scroll that far if you did it every single day for nine. <laughs> it's a long, it was a long time ago. I, if you want, I can send you photos. But they, um, they were just these little characters, and so I did ones. I did a set of ones that were like army men. Um, I think I've actually seen these. <laughs> yeah, I've reposted them a couple of times because they're delightful. One was like the mom, like Mrs. Rockefeller, and she had like rollers in her hair and um, cucumber eyes, and she was holding a little baby, but the baby was actually a little tiny chip of a rock, and it it was like stuff like that. And then I would do things like, um, like room walls. I would just do a single wall of like a kid's bedroom do the wallpaper and the wainscoting and then there, maybe there's like a little little nicks in the baseboard where he would play and and then i was building things inside of cookie tins and like just kind of keeping the the size of the pieces fairly small like probably eight by eight at the most and then i would also do ones that were large i would do proper like quarter scale models of like like the set from friends and the the Mulder's office those were the, like the early like larger pieces that i did um so i did a few of those i think in total for that first show i did like 30 something pieces oh so this was like your first proof that you were onto something i guess it's because like before you were posting a Flickr and instagram um and like what was keeping you going for doing this every single day? Cause originally you said you had to drive to be classified as a miniaturist. Yep. And 
Uh, you had no connections, nowhere to start. I don't know if you if you can even interact with stuff on Flickr. No. Uh, so well, kind of. So like, did you have like what kept you going after like day one hundred when you're like, well, it was it was fairly early on that I switched over to Instagram, and that's what uh, helped a lot. Like, so day thirty. Yeah, basically, it was like. It was like probably a month or two in, and then I I discovered this. Someone said, "Hey, have you ever tried Instagram?" And uh, I just I went on. I looked around. And I was like, "Oh, this is actually like early Instagram was great because you it could was. take a, now you took not. a photo, you maybe put a filter on it, and then it was just you uploaded it. You put a couple hashtags, um, and yeah, as long as alone would bring in five hundred. <laughs> yeah. people just... and and so then i started studying algorithms and i started understanding what what the best time for me to post was you did. oh yeah like i i saw the potential of an audience by posting on instagram what was In the those... potential of the audience like just being seen just being seen so by, by people like and get people to see it yeah. And not even just like, I, it wasn't like I was trying to be seen by any particular one person or type of person. I just wanted people to see the kind of work that I was doing and I wanted feedback. Hmm. And I, I did this very openly and without any kind of like fear of rejection or anything like that. Um, I, I learned when I was in high school, I had a teacher that told me I was in band class and she told me, look, if you're going to play an instrument, you're going to be in an orchestra, play that instrument and play it loud, like put effort into it, even if it's bad, because if it is bad, then I can tell you that it's bad hmm. and I can teach you how to correct it or someone else will hear that you're off and, and help steer you in the right direction. That's and, interesting. I've never heard like if you're going to do something, even if it's bad, do it loud so that yeah. the people who know steer you. Yeah, because there's I have the opposite fear. I'm like, I don't want to show anything bad because uh, I'm I'm always right. And the best at everything I do (laughs) and I can't be open to criticism. But that's the wonderful thing that a lot of people don't, especially young people. Don't understand when they're first coming into the like like coming out of school, coming out of university or coming out of high school into the world. And they don't understand that they're allowed to make mistakes. Right. You're allowed to, you, that's how you learn from, from either you learn from yourself and you make the mistake and you go, oh, I probably shouldn't do that next time. Or you make a mistake and someone goes, hey, I saw you did it this way. Why did you do it this way? Have you thought about trying this way? Right. And you start learning like by, by posting every single day, even if it was terrible, I started getting feedback from other people who have done it for five, 10 years, who have done this kind of work because I was starting to find an audience of like-minded people. And then we started trading ideas and material thoughts and what kind of glue do you use? And like those kind of questions, those simple questions. And that helped me learn a lot in those early years. Um, And then it's a ton of sense to me. 
Yeah. Because like, you, you said you didn't have a community and then suddenly, because like, where else can you go that there's a like miniature community? It's like for like, I mean, like for me growing up, there was a website that still exists called stopmotionanimation.com where all these like veterans would frequent and then I could ask them mm-hmm. questions. But for like miniatures, are miniaturists, are there similar things or it was more no. or less you just found them through Instagram? <laughs> I found them through Instagram. And and honestly, like, and I don't want to like, you know, <laughs> I don't want to shine my own trumpet here, but like shine your own trumpet <laughs> but um Listen, like, you could shine your trumpet <laughs> when i whatever when I, that means <laughs> when i started uh, when i started there wasn't there wasn't a lot of people doing miniatures there were it was like it wasn't that long ago i hope i like to think it wasn't that long ago but there wasn't a lot of people and if you searched like miniatures on instagram you what a lot of a lot of what you found was like dollhouse furniture or like warhammer right and over the last 10 15 years we've started to see this like development of miniatures as an art form which is where i started right Mm -hmm. so when i start when i started kind of figuring it out and doing this as more as an art form other people we're also starting to do it. And so I was like at the, at the very cusp, at the very edge of the wave of people doing it, not as a, not for stop motion, not for um, dollhouses, but more for like display kind of the, the kind of stuff that I was doing at the time. Yeah. Um, I feel like, should I ask again why you're not in stop motion? <laughs> <laughs> I, just I didn't find the right people at the time. I had a long struggle to kind of find the right people to talk to and the right kind of relationships to have. I was also in a weird spot geographically because I was literally I lived in the woods in Nova Scotia. Like it was out in the middle of nowhere. I like to get to the nearest like dollar store to get materials. I had to drive a half an hour at least on the highway. Like it was in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and uh, just for my own curiosity, how was the winter? <laughs> oh, the winters in Nova Scotia are lovely. Oh, what? I oh, would yeah. expect them to be crazy terrible. No, they're wet. Uh, you'll get a couple of like really heavy snows, but mm. it's mostly just wet. Well, wet is not great either, I guess. Yeah. yeah anyway, our store is key for anything miniature. So, okay, so you're yeah. There's not much stop motion going on in Nova Scotia woods, I guess. No. So you're, but it's most. It mostly is just I just didn't know anybody. Right. I'm and sure there maybe there's some things that I don't even know about, but so your your main outlet was kind of online uh, stuff. Yeah. And you're doing you're not making money at this at all. You're just doing it for passion because at some point, like the Damien James Webb that I know uh, is like a miniaturist with like little houses. Like that's how I know your your style, like little cars, Mm -hmm. houses, like pop culture items. Uh, It's not like the Damien James Webb who is creating like Rockefeller figures and and like room walls, et cetera. So did you have like a, a refinement because doing something every day? for nine years, you run out of ideas. 
you or you'd think you'd think um, but at some point you you honed all of your ideas into more specific types of miniatures yeah and that a lot of that came from just doing the stuff and posting it and finding what I, like i was taking the information from instagram that i was getting like the likes the comments and i was using those to then influence what i did next interesting right? So I would have an idea. I'd be like, oh, I should do this. And I, I, cause like I thought it was cool. And so I would, I would do it for myself and then I would post an image of it and it would explode. It would get hundreds of likes, which was impressive to me at the time because I only had a couple, like I maybe had like 1500 followers when the first time it happened was, and I was like, oh, I should do this. Like did it, you ever post something that you're like, I really love this and it didn't get any? Oh yeah. Cause I like, I've done that. My old Instagram, I also did like a project for a, a whole year, every single day. And it got like nothing. It got like 20, mm -hmm. 30 likes max a day. And like, I was like, I'm going to keep doing this, but I didn't really, I didn't really follow the likes. If that makes sense. I more yeah. or less was like, I'm going to do this regardless. So people can like it or not. And I hope they like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it it was a mix of both for me. I was still doing stuff for myself, but I'm a nerdy guy. So I also like, like the audience that I was building was also nerdy in the right. same ways because I was posting things that I liked. And so people who started following me were the people who liked that stuff. So it all kind of just naturally fell into place. Um but then I started doing more recognizable things, using my hashtags appropriately. And so like when I posted the friend's apartment, yeah, um, that's the first thing that blew up for me. It I feel, feel kind of envious because like my personal style, I would never, I have never created something that already has like a, a popular following, I guess. Yeah. So it, it's like tough to like not be able to feed into that because did you intentionally create like the friends room knowing there's a huge audience and you're going to get a lot of residual followers who are just interested in miniatures regardless of what you post i think that was the hope yeah um i so i built that and the Mulder's office set at the same time um and they both they together they took me about a month um, but i did it for a show for for that same gallery that I worked with, I I had some in the in a show that they put on, and um, the it that is kind of what instigated the whole like oh I should do the friends set because the show that was happening was about like television culture in the nineties basically, right. and so I was like oh well yeah this will be recognizable, you know people will know what to look for. I can put in little quirky things that are from the show that people would remember. And like, I could hide details for people who will look for it. will see it and like make that'll make them happy. Right. Um, so that's kind of how that happened. Um, but I posted, I posted that on Instagram and it blew up and this was still at the time when the hashtag hashtags meant something. So the, I put the right kind of hashtags and it went up on a lot of people's, they call it the for you page now, but it was like the main, the main page, the like explore page back in the day was like the featured right, posts. Right. Yeah. And it got 
like I think close to a million likes. That's crazy. It was That's insanity. Amazing. And then I also at the same time I posted it onto Reddit and it got onto the front page of Reddit as well for like a few hours before it got taken down. Um I don't I can't remember why it got taken down. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was but it was great for me because it it pushed a lot of people to my Instagram and started right. seeing what I was doing. And from there, it just kept, as long as I kept the momentum of doing something every day and doing something new, trying new things, and then finding also my own identity in the art as well. Yeah. Like people started seeing what I was doing more as my art and less, oh, he's building, he's mimicking something. That makes a lot of sense. Let me ask you this. So at this point, you have an Instagram following. You have an art show and you've been creating every day for years. Yeah. Um, what? <laughs> and you're working full time nights. Yeah. So you're not, uh, I guess you're working full time. You're also working crazy hours on these other projects. Mm-hmm. They haven't specifically paid off and you, you don't have any, I mean, I know where you are now, but like, what am I trying to say? It's not like you're being offered some crazy job or like you can see there's success at the end of this. You're just grinding yourself to nothing. It sounds like I it 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 could sound like that. It does sound like that. Um, well, I'm just I'm I mean like <laughs> I'm not saying you are you. It, I'm just trying to like make a no. point about like how are you managing your yeah. life at this point? I guess you you're not like okay. I'll say you're not incorrect. I was. I was kind of, I was doing the grind, basically. I was paying my dues, as it were, um, because my generation didn't have places to go, like, to do this kind of stuff. If If I'm a kid, when I was a kid, and I wanted to be a model maker, I couldn't just go to ILM and get a job at, to be a be a model yeah. maker right though that industry no longer existed when i was a child it was digital special effects was suddenly the big boom in the 2000s right and that's that was pushed so much and there were still there were some people that were still doing stop motion like stupid buddy was a very early um, company that started doing more and a lot of like kids shows and stuff, but there wasn't like a big industry that I knew of um, to get started in. And so that thought, that dream of like, oh, I, I'll just be able to walk into such and such company and get a job kind of didn't feel possible to me. And so I knew that no one was just going to walk up to me with the right job opportunity. I had to find it. I had to, I had to create, I had to teach myself how to be a model maker so that I could have the clout to then walk into a place and be like, Hey, I've done this for 20 years. Let me, let me, <laughs> let me get a job. Here. So yeah. <clears throat> in tandem, cause also like your friend stuff and whatever, like it's immaculate, it's, it's beautiful. It's super, it's done super well. Were you also looking for like applying to places that could potentially need 
model makers? Um, no. <laughs> so you were, <laughs> yeah, I, you have to understand also that I was in a relationship at the time that didn't, hmm, how do I word this? I didn't feel like I could explore those opportunities. Hmm. Um, and I did, I did try, I looked into some things at one point and then it was like, Oh, I'd have to move to, I'd have to move to Vancouver for this, or I'd have to move to Toronto for this or not a possibility. And, and yeah, it, it, the relationship that I was in at the time, it did not feel like a feasible thing to do. Okay. So then your only outlet was to uh, get online. Yeah. Online. Busted bust my ass every day. Yeah. And and I started doing commissions as well. See, so, yeah, I want to talk about that. So at what point did, um, and <laughs> at what point did you get your first commission? Like you're just making models and then like somebody contacts you and they're like, Hey, can you make a model for me and ship it? Like, yeah. Uh, so the first the first commission I ever had was a guy uh, direct messaged me on Instagram and I didn't like open up for commissions or anything like that. He just he just DM'd me and was like, hey, I have a uh, uh, Hot Wheels car collection and I want to build a little garage for it. Cute. Can you can you build all the the tools and the tool chests and everything to the scale of a Hot Wheels car for that garage? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I had no experience at all taking commissions, and so I was like, I have no idea what to charge you. Can we settle on this that? Um, so we I think we settled on like ten bucks per piece for oh. a little. Yeah, yeah, not in total. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not an idiot. Uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, 10 bucks per little thing. Cause they wouldn't it, in my calculations of things at the time, like, oh, it's not going to take me that long. And so I, he didn't even give me any kind of like guideline to how many pieces he wanted or like how many things. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to start making stuff and I'll send you update photos. And I guess, however many I get done, that's what you'll buy. And he's like, yeah, sure. And so I built all these things. And I just kept making them and I kept sending him photos. He's like, yeah, that's great. Keep going. And I would just keep building. And then finally it came time. I was like, Hey, I think I'm done. Like, can I send these out to you? And he's like, nah. <laughs> Wait, what? So, and I was like, Oh, okay. And I didn't know what to do with myself. And I was going to say this lucky guy got this expert miniaturist to, to make him. <laughs> exquisite uh size accurate model garage for his hot wheel collection for an extremely cheap price and then he doesn't even take it yeah i'll also add this is a good point to add just in general up up until two years ago every model that i ever made was paper yeah and cardboard so like <laughs> i was i was using matte board from picture frames to build all of these little mini things and Matterport is expensive. What the heck? No, I, you go to a framing store and you ask them what's what, what mat board has been sitting in this shop for 20 oh, years, see. 30 years that you want to get rid of. And they have a pile of them. 
<laughs> like, oh, a customer for I haven't, that nobody buys. I haven't had to purchase Matboard since I started. Like, oh. yeah. So interesting. Too. Yeah, you gotta know. You just gotta know where to go and who to ask. So anyway, so you had a terrible <laughs> first experience, which I feel like every single awful. artist has, myself included. <laughs> yeah, but I played loud, right? I I just did it, and I failed, and I was like, all right, I'm not gonna do this ever again. Like, I'm not going to do it this way ever again. Yeah. And then I started asking people that I knew via Instagram who did commissions, like other artists that like not miniaturists, but just other artists. I'm like, how do you deal with commissions? How does that work? What do I do with taxes? You know, like <laughs> I'm probably not going to make a ton of money off this, but you know, how, how do I deal with all this? And then I learned and I set up a whole I had Excel sheets and like sale receipts and I started a business profile on, on um, uh, PayPal, <laughs> like so that I could take payments. And then pretty soon afterwards, I had uh, a guy c- contact me who was a you cartoonist. You set this all up without any clients. Yeah. I just, I just, I was like, I need to build an infrastructure before I can take anybody on. Right. So then I built an infrastructure for myself out of nothing. And yeah, just in the hope that I would start yeah. selling stuff. Cause and if I didn't, then whatever, I learned a thing, you know? Um, but anyway, so then soon after I had set all this up and kind of learned all that, I had a gentleman contact me who was a cartoonist um, who I, his name escapes me now. That's all right. Cartoon man. Uh, yep, it's gone. But he, um, oh God, he did the um, the animated, the intro stuff for Comedy Bang Bang. I think Comedy Bang Bang. Um. Hmm. So he's he's he was so he wanted you to like recreate. No. So, um. Anyway, yeah. He he did the intro. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, he did the intro sequences for was it comedy Reggie? bang bang? Oh, maybe that's the the music Reggie Watts. No, that's that's a musician. <laughs> yeah, that's the musician. <laughs> uh. Uh. Paul Horns. That's it. Hey, yeah, <laughs> it's on so, Reddit thread. Who is the artist that created the comedy bang bang logo? There you go. So anyway, so okay, so Paul contacted me, and I was like, I did a little bit of research. I so in learning like how to set up sales forms and stuff like that, I was like, told also like, hey, look into the person that you're doing work with, and just see, you know, if they're legit or not. Yeah. And so I looked up um, Paul's work and I was like, oh, this is cool. And he had this idea to do, uh, I can't, and I can't talk about too much of it because, uh, you know, it's still a project that may or may not be developed, but right. it was basically 2D animation on top of a 3D ah. set, which was very interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and he's like, hey, is this something that you could do? Um, and at this at this point, I had not done anything like that, like a set to be filmed. And I was like, all right, 
how about you just cover the cost of shipping the piece and I'll work on this to like, I didn't tell him this, but I was like, I'll work on this for myself to learn. Um, and I was like, cover the cost of shipping because it was also like a project that might die. Right. It was, it was not necessarily something that was like a go that had funding and like, or anything like that. It was just like something that he wanted to do like as a, as a project. And I was like, I love that somebody was like, Hey, I have an idea. And you're like, great. I'm going to invest 50 of my own hours uh, into it and like take every, well, because at the time I, I had never done anything like this before. Yeah. So I I considered myself basically just like a, a, intern i guess i was like all right we're gonna try this and i'm gonna learn whether or not i'm good at this and so i took a month and i built this set that had like removable walls pieces that could move so that you could get a camera in there um they clipped together even i looked at a lot of like stop motion sets to like see how they attach to each other and everything was made out of bristol board and like uh, mat board and cardboard and I did the, I built this set of a radio station where all the little pieces were all individual like all the chairs were, like nothing was glued down so that when he finally got the package he could set it up however he wanted and move things around and um, if the character like pushed his like wheelie chair away from the desk that he could pull the the chair away as well Wow. And so I built this, I built all these props and, and furniture pieces and, and walls and um, a couple of, I painted a couple of like backgrounds to do like, um, like to, ca- like to camera, like shots, kind of like the office where the character would just talk directly to the camera. And so I did that project, mailed it out and then nothing ever happened with it. But I learned a lot and I, and like me and Paul for a while, we kind of kept in touch a little bit here and there. And we like, I, I kind of created a a friendship, an internet friendship at the time, which has since kind of died off, but that's okay. Yeah. Cause these things happen, but it was through doing that project. That was a little bit more meaty that I started getting other people that were interested and be like, Oh, cool. I've seen your friend set. I've seen this thing. Like, is this something? Can you can you do other scenes for shows? And so then I started getting commissions for like, hey, can you do the set of um, uh, <laughs> Edward Scissorhands, or can you do a little model of like the garden from Alice in Wonderland? Are and these was, are these just like personal like people who are interested, yeah. Like- for their own sake. Yep. They, it's not like they, a business being like, hey, we have a production, we need a miniature no. set. It's just like random interesting. Yeah. So then uh how did you cuz like I'm hoping you paid yourself nicely eventually. <laughs> I for a long time I lowballed myself. And okay. and that was in part like I didn't know one I didn't know any better. Two I I did not feel like I was talented enough to be charging an exorbitant amount of money. Okay. And I also like, I have a personal thought and feeling that art should be accessible 
to anybody who wants to enjoy it. And so if I had an 18 year old kid contact me and be like, I really like Spider-Man. Can you do like a New York wall with like, so that I can put my Spider-Man figure on it, you know, like with like a little fire escape stuff. And I was like, yeah, I can, I could do something. We can work together to a price point that works. Right. And so I would, I, I would kind of be flexible in that way. So for a long time, I think the most I ever charged for a piece was like $200. And then for the larger things I started charging, I think like four to $600. I think for the, the friend set, I think I only charged $400 for it, (laughs) which is kind of ridiculous to think about now because it should have been way more. Like how many hours did you put into it for people who haven't seen it? Uh, it was like a month's worth of work. So for getting in and out, it it was probably like a hundred hours. Okay. Well, that's $4 an hour. So (laughs) yeah, it, it, like I said, in the early days, I was doing this for me. I was doing it to learn and, and, just yeah get to know yeah, i mean i mean that makes a lot of sense to me and if you're doing it anyways uh it sounds fun that other people would request stuff from you and you would make it you weren't you weren't trying to make your bread and butter from it and perhaps do you think if you had if you had tried to force that a little bit at the beginning or maybe charged more that you wouldn't have ended up where you are now with the opportunities you are now because you would have rejected a lot of things. Yeah. I don't think I would have rejected anything, but I certainly think that I would not, I would not have been doing as many commissions as I did in that middle, those middle years. Um, so are you still doing commissions now? No. So when I moved so when I moved to Regina, uh, so I moved from Nova Scotia to Regina, um, Saskatchewan. Yeah, you love moving across the country. Love moving across the country. Frequently. I'm, <laughs> I'm probably going to do it another two times before. Oh, you're in Toronto <laughs> now. Yeah, I've been thinking about moving to the West Coast too. Um, so <laughs> when, uh, when I moved to Saskatchewan, I, started, I finally started working in theater. And when I did that, I kind of toned the commissions down after that move. Cause before I was, I was literally back to back commissions wow. when I was working in Nova Scotia while also working full time. How, how do you like, what is your uh, like stress level? Like, because like for me, I work full time, I have this podcast and I have side projects and like mm-hmm. sometimes my stress level is through the roof and I'm like, I can't do anything this week. I can't even think this week. Well, that's the lovely thing about living in the woods next to a river <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Just living in the woods is it's, <laughs> is anti-stress. Yeah, it was it honestly where, where we lived was like the most lovely little like small community of like maybe a hundred houses. And like, I knew my neighbors, they were all old, like people that gardened every day. And just like, it was literally the most, the quietest, least stressful environment to take on as much as humanly possible. And maybe which, I should move to the woods. And like the job, the job that I worked at was stressful on like a Friday or a Saturday. 
and like more so over the summer. But like there were days where I just had like eight hours a day at work sitting, watching YouTube or Netflix, like waiting for something to happen I see. because everybody would be asleep because I'd work uh, 11 to seven in the morning. So everybody's asleep. So I had all this downtime and uh, I would, I would like work on projects at work sometimes as well. But when I moved, when I moved to Regina and started working in theater, when I'd come home, I would still work on projects, but it was, it was far less. And I started doing more. So this, this was the problem with the Instagram is when I moved from Nova Scotia to Saskatchewan, I had gathered such a following on Instagram that it stopped being, I posted every day because I was doing something every day and more. I was posting every day because I felt like I needed to post every day. I see. Yeah. It like, like the wheels kind of took over me a little bit and it, I kind of got lost in the social media aspect of it. And I was trying to be like influencer realm, which was, I mean, it's, it's a totally viable thing to do, but, and, and at the point I had like, I had 20,000 followers leaving Nova Scotia. I'm like, yeah, I got, now I got clout. Now I could do something with this. And I was like, Hey guys, why don't we do merchandise? I'm like, like it was dumb stuff like that. And I was like, how do I, how do I make money now off of the clout I have on Instagram? I was trying to like figure that out. And that was just a bad, bad thing to, to kind of fall into because then I, I started losing myself and I started like, it was basically, it was the downfall of my marriage at the time as well (laughs) is like, I started paying more attention to what I was doing online and those interactions. And and I started kind of losing myself a little bit. Um, And, and I did even more so it was less in, in Saskatchewan, but it was still, it was still bad. Um, And, but regardless pandemic hit and I realized like, Oh, like I, I, I couldn't work anymore because the theater's all closed down. And so I was at home every day and I was trying to, I was trying to make a living. I was cleaning models for the theater because I couldn't be in the theater anymore. So they're like, Oh, you can work for, from home and you can fix these models up, but that's not going to be for a long time. And Oh, it's, this is all just temporary anyway. And yada, yada. And, and I kind of stopped wanting to do anything anymore. Like I, the motivation kind of disappeared mostly mostly because I was, I was just starting to feel really run down and like pandemic, you know, stuck in at home for so long. Like I know a lot of people really broke down and I was one of them. And um, so I, I stopped doing commissions and I worked on a couple of little projects and so I started things for myself, but I never finished them. And I started like, it, it all kind of started spiraling and when my ex-wife and I separated finally, I was like, okay, I need, I need to take a pause. I need to do, this is, 
now it's me, right? I need to think about me. And that's probably the smartest thing I ever did was I took a step back from social media and I was like, I don't need to post every single day. I don't need to do this. It's, it's, it's unhealthy. It started to become an addiction of like being online constantly and it was bad. And so I would, I, I did a post on, I did a post and was like, Hey guys, I am taking a break. So I'm not going to be posting anything until I feel like I want to post something. And the, the response from everybody was great. I didn't lose that many followers, which was great. You know, like the retention was really high still. And um, I kind of just, then I started thinking like, I've done all this work. I need to start thinking what I'm going to do with it. You know, I, I had finally, I'd finally learned I'd learned all I could on my own. Yeah. I mean, and, it sounds like you went through a lot of tough times and I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, it also sounds like, you know, you were in a place where you could go anywhere. Finally, uh, you know, you said previously that you couldn't travel if you needed to or take a yeah. job or uh, devote your time to certain things. So did, is that kind of what happened with? Yeah. Going forward? The, the potential suddenly felt, very real at, so, at this sorry so how yeah, did it ahead. feel having this like backlog of a mindset where you wanted to do this thing for so long and then suddenly you're in a place where you had to go through a lot of shit uh and you've stopped posting and you've stopped mm -hmm. commissions and you've you've taken a step back from literally everything and now you can go forward with what you really want to do i guess yeah so where, where did you start from? I'm, I'm just interrupting something you were going to tell me anyway. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, yeah, I started looking. I started looking at what my career could be. Because I now suddenly I had potential. Like I could go anywhere. I could move anywhere. I also like I have like Irish citizenship. So if I wanted to, I could move to the UK and like work there if I wanted to. Right. So I started looking at job postings and looking into studios and trying to find like, where should I position myself to start getting noticed more as an industry professional. Right. Right. Before when I was doing the Instagram stuff, that was my, I felt like I could finally call myself an artist. Right. Cause, but no one's ever going to, no one's ever going to tell you, oh, you're an artist. Now you tell yourself you're an artist yeah. and no one's ever going to tell you that you're now an industry professional until you are suddenly an industry professional. <laughs> Correct. I'm just curious though, because before you'd only worked in paper. Yeah. And unless there's a specific job that needs uh, a paper miniature artist, <laughs> um, it doesn't seem very likely that because what I'm assuming would happen, which I've faced before, is like, oh, we need we need somebody who can do what you do. But have you worked with all these crazy materials like, I don't know, silicon or yep. blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> so never before. but I can learn. <laughs> that's the other beautiful thing is I directed my life to theater, which allowed me to learn 
Uh-huh. All of that. So all right. I when I worked in when I worked in theater in Regina for like the year before pandemic, I did everything. I I did shop work. I did prop making. I did scenic arts. I did electrical. I I love learning new things. <laughs> and so I would search these out and I would get people to teach me stuff. And so in that year that I worked in the theater, I touched, like, I learned how to use all different kinds of glues. I learned how to work with all different kinds of materials. I learned how to construct things. I like, and I did, I did do some of that in school as well, but it was a lot of hands-on like learning from the world that those, those skills were now transferable. And, and like, just also just the, the intrinsic knowledge of, how to scale things properly and how to like model making is like a lot of it's you can teach, but some of it is just like you have a natural ability to like paint something the right color or make something the right size or, um, and I very thankfully had that. And so when I was, so when I was looking for work in the quote unquote industry, and I wasn't sure what, what that industry was, whether it was go into theater or find a production studio or, you know, do fine art or, you know, I, I had no idea. I was looking at job boards. I was looking at a theater job board and in it was a posting for a visual arts specialist, which is the most generic name you can give <laughs> like a production studio title possible. But it was specifically for it was for little Canada and they said in the thing for miniaturists, model makers and miniaturists. But you're like, this is me, obviously. And I was like, I'm never, and I, Visual so I looked, artist miniaturist. Perfect. Done. Yeah. I was like, I looked up the company and I, they, it was like before they opened, but they had a bunch of like news postings and stuff. And I was like, Oh, this is one. It's a startup. So it's a great opportunity for me to get in on the ground level and learn a ton while they are also learning. That's how that's how you disguise the fact that you don't know what you're doing is you get in, you get into something with a really low expectation. Yeah. And just learn as much as possible while they're also learning. And so I was like I have to apply for this. When am I ever going to get another opportunity that's just open call for miniaturists. And so I did and I had a couple of interviews and later when I finally did start working here, I later, I learned that the, the fellow that interviewed me after he got off the call, turned to the person he did the interview with and was like, so we're just going to hire him. <laughs> I don't know why they wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I know. right? You already do exactly what they're looking for to a T. <laughs> right. But, but again, like it was, it was different materials that I had been yeah. used to. And I explained that and I'm like, you know, I can work in plastics. I understand the concept of working in plastics and there'll be a little bit of a learning curve. I've never used a laser cutter before, but I learn things really quickly. Um, but for, for it, someone listening, can you just give an overview of what little, little Canada is? Yeah. So little Canada is a, um, it's a, an attraction in Toronto, uh, young and Dundas square, 10 Dundas. Our new, our, yeah, our Times Square in Canada. <laughs> yeah, the 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 Canadian Times Square. Um, but it's an attraction where we're building all of Canada in HO model trains scale, and so 
it's like we built a little Toronto, we built a little on um, Quebec. There's a little Gatineau. Um, <laughs> we did Ottawa with the Parliament Building, um, and everything is to scale. And as I understand, you even have the blueprints from buildings like landmarks and things that you yeah. actually. Maybe. When they when they first started, there were a couple of buildings that they wanted to include that were very they're the called the Marilyn Monroe buildings in Toronto, um, or in the GTA, I guess you'd call them. But it, it they're like these curvy, crazy, very unique, very identifiable structures, and we realized like, oh, if we build these, the architect is gonna be miffed because it's he has the rights to that, the look of that building. Um, so we contacted the architect and we could, and he's like, yeah, sure. Here you go. And he like gave us the design plan. So we were able to like perfectly make that structure. I say we, I wasn't, I wasn't working there at the time, but they were able to make the building from the actual blueprints of the building, which was, which was really neat. Um, that is really cool. Yeah. So, so you've basically been working at this uh, miniature exhibit in downtown Toronto since, since 2021. From, yeah, from 2021. Yeah. And you've made everything from the Marilyn Monroe buildings to, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, it's everything. <laughs> it's kind of weird now, that, like thinking back to everything I've made since I started was is like, I've made amusement park rides. I've built um storefronts like the inside of buildings uh, and i've like and everything we do is is scratch built everything is designed from the ground up um and and we laser cut everything and then we'll build it's like half laser cut stuff and half scratch built stuff and we don't use kits anymore like in the early days, like 10 years ago, they used a lot of kits from the model train world because, uh, you know, it was easy to get them and kind of manipulate them. But now we do try and make things very accurate. So we do a lot of research, a lot of Google image search, <laughs> you know, street view, and then we'll take those designs and we'll in CAD, we draw all of the pieces that we need to make, cut them out and build the structure from the ground up. And it looks exactly like as if you stood in front of it and took a photo. Yeah, it's in, it's incredible. And you even have like, I don't know. I mean, living in Toronto myself for like 10 years, I just recognized everything. I was like, Oh, there's that street. And that, there's mm -hmm. that sign and blah, blah. Does I'm, I'm just curious, just a random question. Yeah. Does laser cutting kind of take some of the fun out of it or because you're producing so much, you're, you're like, thank God for laser cutting. No. Yeah. So <laughs> that's the funny thing. I, I came about model making in the hardest way imaginable is with using nail clippers to cut all your, <laughs> yeah, I used, uh, well, so I used a Ulfa box cutter for like, I still use it to this day. It's sitting in front of me. I, it works. It, it's handy. You know, it's, it's what you, but it, it was a, it, I had a box cutter, I had mat board and I had wood glue and that's everything I ever made was that and everything was hand cut. All of the shingles I ever put on, on any of the houses I built were all hand cut individual shingles that I glued on one by one. Why would you ever want a laser cut? Right. But the laser cutter, 
learning how to use the laser cutter in a way that allows for mass like like a mass design like today if you asked me to make shingles i would laser cut the shingles out and i would make them on strips right (laughs) i would yeah I, i would um but like you know there's so it it adds time saving yeah. in a way but you have to know how to use it in the right ways there are some people that only do 3d printing in our studio there are some people who only do laser cutting in the studio there are some people that could build something from scratch with just styrene and ca and a and a and a craft knife and they could build it faster than anybody could on the laser cutter or the 3D printer, right? And it'll be just as nice. So does, does that mean everybody, <clears throat> sorry, I want to ask about what the yeah. production team is like, but does that mean everybody has their own style of how they create stuff? There's not like a, a industry pipeline production where like everything is laser cut and then the gluer glues it together and the painter paints it. No. So the way I can, I can talk about mo- some of this. So the, okay, don't the, share any secrets. Yeah, I mean, we don't really. I, I hate. I hate industry secrets. So I'm not. There, but there's just certain things I just can't talk about. Right. Um. But uh, yeah. So the way that we work is like everybody came from different avenues because there's not like a university program where you go and just learn how to be a model maker and they spit you out into the industry, right? Right. It's. So a lot of people who work there came from a world of graphic design or visual art, or like, I think there's one pe- person on our team that was actually worked for a architectural model firm, you know, so they have that industry knowledge. Um, but yeah, a lot of people who are just like 3d printing specialists and, okay. and stuff like that, but everybody on the team can design cut build paint weather and install and like light like put in lx and stuff into every structure um from beginning to end so it's not like one person does all the cad stuff and then they pass it off to the cutter and then the cutter passes it off to the builder and then the builder passes off the paint. No, no we can do that we have done that but a lot of the times we're able to just someone gives you a, a building to do and they go build, make this, you know, two story townhome. Here's some photo reference. And from there you just, you design it from the ground up. Um, but because everybody came from different avenues, like some people use illustrator to design their cut pieces. Some people use AutoCAD. Um, some people design in fusion, some people design in Rhino, some people design in SketchUp. Like it, yeah. And so it's great because there's all of this, like all these different ways to, to do a thing, to get the project done um, where we have really tight deadlines sometimes to get stuff like for the East coast, like, it's not that we were rushed, but we had a lot to do in the last couple of months and we just hit a good stride and we were able to like see a problem, fix it by whatever means necessary, you know, because one person knew how to do something a certain way and they could use that knowledge to, you know, everybody was working on everybody else's projects at one point. Um, and so it's a really good studio to work for 
in that way because it's not like everybody's doing the same A, yeah. B, C, D kind so, of. So let me ask you this. You know, you spend nine years making your own stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, you took a step back and you found this job, which from my perspective, sounds like a dream or the type of stuff that you want to do. How does it feel going to work and making just miniatures every day? Uh, nowadays, <laughs> like currently, it feels great. Um, when I first when I first moved here, I was very excited. And when I started working, because I didn't know anything, I started, started having a lot of self-doubt mm. and a lot of like <sighs> imposter syndrome. And the management that I had at the time was not great for mm. me. And it was a struggle. I was in a place, I was in a new place. I didn't have any family here. I didn't know anybody here. Like I didn't have any friends here and I'm kind of, I'm, and I was sold to the company as being this, like, you know, this, Oh, he's perfect. He's, he knows everything. He knows what he's doing. And, yeah, see, but, I but I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't get the right kind of onboarding that I should have, which is not a fault to that company. Um, it's a mixture of like what I was going through at the time. And then also like my manager that I had at the time, um, just, it just didn't mesh really well. And so it's been, it's been a two year struggle to get to now of feeling confident in what I do comfortable at work. I like working with who I'm working with. Um, I've learned so much. Like it, what, what helped? Uh, that's really interesting to hear. And thank you for sharing that. What helped you build that confidence and the work style? And is it just a, it's just the amount of time and like things you went through or, or yeah, things switch for you? Weirdly, it was like, it was like I was reset back to when I first started. And I suddenly, I had to learn. I had to learn what worked and what didn't work. And I had to learn a new process, understand a new industry. And I just took the hard slog of like, I would get up, I'd go to work. If it sucked, it sucked. And I went home and then I just went to bed and I woke up again and I did it again. Because even though I didn't know what I was doing, I, I knew that I had to do it as loud as possible. Interesting. Right? That's I had philosophy. to the same philosophy. It started all over again. I, you know, I'm leaving Regina. I'm coming to Toronto. I'm like, yeah, big man on town. I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be great at this. Right. I'm going to fit in perfectly. And then I got here and I was like, oh no. Like, how did you manage that philosophy with uh, job security fear? Because like, if you do something wrong, loud, right when you're starting yeah you could say bye-bye <laughs> yeah and that's and that's kind of just a general philosophy that i've always had of like if it's going to happen it's going to happen and i'll find i'll find something else you know i'll find another avenue and i yeah like i made the move to toronto and got an apartment and it was like oh this might not work <laughs> like what am i going to do next um 
and that's just that's just the kind of the way that I live, really. Um, great. <laughs> so it worked. It worked out great. But it, but I I knew my worth deep down, and yeah. so I just buckled in. And as long as they didn't fire me, I'd show up for work every day and bust my ass and learn new things. And, and whatever time I had left there, I would just try and learn as much as humanly possible from, from that space. Um, and luckily I'm still there <laughs> and I'm doing very well. Um, well, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're in a much better space and that makes sense. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, at some point, all of Canada will be made. <laughs> yes, hopefully. So, uh you know what what does the industry look like for miniaturists like you i'm just curious because you know, like it would be great if you could stay at canada forever uh and you know even when everything's built they'll need people to to fix things to uh, yeah. make new exhibits for a track etc cetera, etc cetera. but like what does the industry look like now that you have been in it and you know people in miniatures finally yeah i know i know some people now that like work and do television spots and or like like kid shows and like commercials and like there's a there's a gig industry here and especially now in the in the last like five ten years like miniatures have kind of come into the zeitgeist a little bit more and so like a lot of people a, lo a lot more people are wanting to do it and so like it just like last week I had someone randomly email me and they're like, Hey, you live in Toronto. We saw your work through little Canada. Like we work for an advertising agent and want to do a commercial shoot. I'm like, sweet. Like, <laughs> so there's stuff like that, that can, that can come along. And now, and now from working at, at little Canada, I know certain people that, you know, work in the industry and can, I can get jobs through if I want. And, you know, so do you do you see this as like because like stop motion is a little bit similar where it's really tough to find something and it doesn't always you know there's like especially in Canada but once you are in you basically know everybody in stop motion you hear of all the gigs there's not yeah. always work but like once you're in the loop you kind of stay in the loop is that kind of the same with miniatures yeah yeah it basically it's just it's and uh, there's a lot of crossover too like there's there are because a lot of miniaturists do stop motion and vice versa. Yeah, of course. You know, so it's I have worked with people who have done stop motion work in the past. Um, what so do my, you? Oh, sorry. Yeah. So like uh, early on, like I had followed uh, Spencer Barclay, like even before moving to Toronto. Um, and then I realized, oh, he works at Little Canada. And so when I moved here and I started working, I just picked his brain as much as humanly possible, probably annoyingly. Um, but we became good friends. <laughs> and um, even though he's he's stopped working for the company now and he's off doing his own stuff, like we still chat every once in a while. And hopefully like if he's got a project and he wants to put me on it, he can just give me a call. And like he knows that I'm reliable and like so it's like finding yeah, those yeah, friendships and connections and that's really what i've been focusing on and trying to do totally makes sense do you see myself out there having the rest of your career in miniatures now that this has kind of happened like do you ever see yourself going back to something else like theater i've thought about it hmm. um 
I would, I do like the miniature stuff more though. So it's a mixed bag. So <laughs> theater has this wonderful thing of catharsis where you work on a show for two, three months and then it opens and you have this, oh, it's out of my hands now, right? You can kind right. of step back, which is not something that I get at Little Canada currently. And I've come to realize that it might be something that I need in my life. Hmm. And I'm, even though I have never had the experience of it, I'm sure that working for in a like a for a stop motion show or for a, doing a commercial gig or something like that would allow me that same up and down <laughs> you know interesting um yeah so i like theater i like grown-ups playing dress up for other grown-ups it's really hilarious to me it's the reason i love theater um I love the fact that you can just hold a stick and it could be a sword or it could be a walking cane or like there's an imaginative imaginative thing to it, which I really like, like an expected imagination thing right. where the audience is just like, you're just supposed to know that that's a, that's a sword. Right? Can you imagine doing that like... in miniatures? Like <laughs> you walk into little Canada and it's not a representation of all of what Canada is. You're just supposed to imagine it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. The exact opposite. Um, <laughs> You're trying to be so accurate. But but then there's then there's the thing of I like I like little things. I like building in that scale. I can put a lot of detail in something that's a lot smaller than I can in a stage. Um, you know, I can put 20 hours into something and get get a hundred hours worth of detail in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I would, yeah, yeah. As if I was, if I was building something for the stage, it would take way longer and cost way more money. Um, but in miniature, I can add a lot of detail and I can add a lot of character to things and in a much easier way than I can in theater. Yeah. Um, you have more control over everything. Like, yeah. Um, totally makes sense. I'm wondering if somebody's listening and they're, they're wanting to get into miniatures or they just started or they're even posting to Instagram or whatever, what, what would you say would be the, the things that like the, the tools and maybe the mentality that helped you the most to get into the industry? Like if they want to enter professionally as well? Um, I would say if you've never done anything before, like if you're starting fresh and you just want to do miniatures, um, literally anything you have at home, like start making playing card houses or so you don't need like <laughs> the complicated glues and plastics and 3d printing and laser. No, you don't like tools are never a need. They're a nice to have right tools and materials. And that's my own kind of understanding and philosophy of things, because I have made things out of literal garbage and they have, sold for hundreds of dollars so <laughs> like, Literally, that's my philosophy with my own stop motion too like i try to not spend money I'm like, no what can it, this garbage i've been saving in a box for three years become <laughs> right it's about what you imbue into it right yeah. the the cost the value of something like if we take a monetary value out of it just value in general of a thing that you make comes from what you impart into it yeah which is kind of is the, the philosophy of kind of general art, um, like visual art, um, because like pencil crayons and charcoal and you know ink pens, they don't, well, for the most part, they don't cost a lot. But uh, you know, like 
a eight by 10 drawing can cost hundreds of dollars. And that comes from the soul of the individual, the time that that someone put into it, you know, and the, the same philosophy comes to, to model making and miniatures and like, you know, find chunks of foam from a package that you got a cardboard box, you know, um, anything that you can get your hands on. If you want to use super glue, use super glue. If you want to use wood glue, use wood glue. You're going to learn what works and what doesn't work by just trying everything. Yeah. Makes sense. So step one would be try everything, yeah. create stuff. And then how, Fine. what would be the best way to make those connections to, to talk with people in the industry and, and find out about jobs and stuff? find like-minded individuals and just ask them questions is instagram still a good way to do that even if I yep okay. oh yeah you know for contacting people instagram is still really good either you put it into a message just on a post or message them directly a lot of people have a fear with contacting people directly via email or or dm or something because they're like, oh, this person's got hundreds of thousands of followers. Like I admire them and the work that they do, but they'll never want to talk to me. They're like, no, they're a person. <laughs> like they're just, they're still a human being. And, you know, a lot of people in the creative industries really love talking to other people who want to do the thing that they do. Correct. So, <laughs> like, yeah. Like even if you're, even if you've never done anything before, if you're a, if, I once, I had a 12-year-old kid Instagram me um, and was like, I really, here's a photo of the thing that I did. I really want to do what you do. This is really cool. I want to, and he, it was like a shoe, like a, a shoebox model. And it was like things that he found around the house. And I was like, you're doing great. Keep doing everything that you're doing. And I gave him some advice. So I was like, try doing this instead of that. And like, and we just had a little conversation about like how to work with materials and and it was, you know, that's going to, he might grow up and, you know, be a model maker. Right. And, and, and I've even had, so I've had people who now have a, like a significant following and ha like now do this as a business. Um, Chris from um, uh, something root nine sign root nine root nine signs. God, I forget it's the title now um, on Instagram. Hold on, I'm going to find it because I don't want to misquote. Uh, Chris R. Small sign. Hmm? Route 9 signs. Yeah, Route 9 signs. Yeah. Chris. Yeah, he makes signs. Tiny yeah. signs. Tiny, he makes signs. tiny neon signs. Tiny um, neon signs. So this is a great story. And I'm sorry if I'm running this long, <laughs> but... I like to talk. Um, so Chris, I came across Chris when he was doing like laser cut puzzle pieces and selling them at art shows, like, like fairs and stuff to yeah. help. He was a stay at home dad for his son who has um, autism and um, amongst other things. And so in order to make a little bit of extra money in order to help support his son, he was building, he was, he was laser cutting these little puzzle piece, like jewelry and fridge magnets and stuff. And I just came across it randomly on my Instagram. I was like, Whoa, this is really cool. Like I, because I am also on the autistic spectrum. So I'm like, I sent him a message and just said, 
I see what you're doing. He didn't have a lot of followers at the time. It was like maybe like a hundred and something. And I was like, I see what you're doing. Keep doing it. Like your son's not going to know just how much hard work you're putting into him. But I see it and everybody else sees it. So like you're doing a good job. Keep going. Blah, blah, blah. And that was, it was very sweet. We had a good, nice little interaction back and forth, talked for a bit. And then a couple of months later, he messaged me. He's like, Hey, I want to stop doing these puzzle piece things and kind of want to do what you do. Like, and we started having a conversation like, you know, he's like, what kind of materials do you use? What kind of material should I use? I was like, what do you have at hand? He's like, I got acrylic and a laser cutter. I was like, great. What do you want to make? <laughs> you know, he's like, and so he found this niche of recreating old neon signs and yeah. it, it just exploded. And now he's, he's had pieces given to like late night shows and celebrities. And he's got a bunch of pieces that are now in like the neon sign museum down in California. Um, it's it's crazy. Like he's he's done very well for himself, and I'm so super proud. But like his little career that he started came from a random conversation of just connecting with a person. I love right? that. So don't ever be afraid to just talk to people. <laughs> yeah, I I always say the exact same thing. Like the only way I get people on this podcast is by reach cold reaching out to them, unless I happen to know them. And not everybody responds, and that's okay, especially people who have uh, 100K plus followers on Instagram, because I'm assuming their DMs are either overloaded or I just go to hidden. Mm. But uh, there are ways to call. I've contacted people who have millions and millions of followers be just because I was persistent or I found their email on their website or I tweeted them and nobody else was tweeting them or et cetera, et cetera. So hundred percent. And like, same with me, the amount, like when I was learning stop motion, I would just send my progress shots to people who I really admired in stop motion say like, Hey, can you give me some feedback? Mm -hmm. Nobody ever denied me, which was amazing. And I, I learned a ton. So yeah. yeah, I'm all, I'm all for that. So yeah, if you're looking to start out, then what do you have on hand? I love that miniatures is so accessible and all you need is glue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe not even glue you can use tape you can you know, use it, tape. it doesn't it doesn't matter <laughs> accessible and uh the people who are in it are super passionate about it it sounds like because you know you're you're all doing it for the love of it it's not like somebody forced you to take uh miniatures 101 in high school because it's such a uh a necessary skill for all of people to learn <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that makes a ton of sense um amazing is that you know as as we've been chatting you basically shared your whole story with me all the ups and downs uh you know thank you for being so candid and where you're at now and what you're working on now is there anything we didn't chat about yet i feel feel like we've been pretty thorough but like i don't know is there anything you're still aspiring to do that you're working towards maybe uh i want to teach more so in, at Little Canada, we started doing, um, we did like this six month coursework that I uh, developed. That's. Um, Are you saying that I can just come and be a student? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Interesting. Yeah, it's, um, 
so we don't we don't currently have any classes on offer well, dang right it. now but it it's i've done this twice now where we've put on this six-week program where every saturday i do a two-hour class and we i teach the fundamentals ground up from a box of random materials and we talk about foam carving and knife safety and paint brushes and like Mm. the anatomy of color theory and like wow just like the basics of like all the different materials that we at little canada use to create the things and like in a very simple form obviously but yeah it's it touches on every material and every type of work process that we do um we use like six different kinds of glues i learn how to mix color learn how to uh create water effects you know, um, and then it's a lot of like chatting and back and forth. And like, they ask me questions of like, you know, like what happened? What if, hap- what if I want to build this? Like what material should I use for this? And then I go, you go to the dollar store and you buy yourself a pack of popsicle sticks, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's this kind of like back and forth um, teaching that I really enjoy doing actually. Mm-hmm. And I would love to be able to do more of that. Have you considered doing, first of all, let me know next time you're, you're teaching this. Maybe I'll <laughs> yeah. sign up because it sounds like I, I would enjoy yep. this and learn a lot. Yeah. Um, but have you considered online teaching like uh, courses? I know that I, um, there's like, you know, there's like Adina Grubb did a stop motion puppet making class that has been taken by thousands of people. Yeah. Um, I think that's through, I don't know what platform it's through, but there's, have you considered doing, doing that? I have. So when before I moved here and it was pandemic times and everybody moved online, I was like, Oh, maybe I should develop something post. Cause I, at the time I was like, well, maybe I should post like one-on-one kind of courses just through Instagram and do like live classes on Instagram. And it, it never really felt good to hmm. me. There's something about the hands-on aspect that's needed. I mean, it makes sense. You're literally creating things out of materials too. Yeah. So like I can show a camera, like you glue a thing to this thing and you do it like this and then I can hold it up. But like, I know how to hold the thing properly, but I can't, I can't necessarily see how everybody else is holding the thing. Makes sense. Right. So there's a, there's an element of like, I, I personally, I feel like I need to be in the room to, to teach the class. And that's something that I was able to kind of do through little Canada for a bit. And hopefully we get to do more of them. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, well, Damien, is there anything else that you, that you wanted to chat about? Uh, no, not that I can think of just if, uh, if anybody knows uh, a way that I can get into a production studio to build things for stop motion, please just let me know. Hey, well, uh... <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, I mean, next time there's a big production here in Toronto, I'll, I'll keep you top of mind. Please do. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I feel like there there would be more opportunities in the states, specifically at, at like Leica Studio or a Stupid Buddy or yeah, one of those one of those studios. And I have I have chatted with people who have become set designers for those um, those companies, but it's it's been a mix of like moving there and connections and et cetera and like time. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But for sure. Yeah. If you're listening and you have somebody or you need somebody who can be an expert model 
set designer for stop motion. Listen, get in touch with Damien here. Please do. <laughs> All right, Damien. Well, um, it's been a pleasure to chat. I'm super happy you yeah. came on and uh, I learned a lot and hopefully I'll learn more at the next uh, class that you run. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And if you're listening and you have a job opportunity for Damien <laughs> or you just want to follow his work or get in touch with him, I'm going to include his Instagram, which is Damien Jabe's web, as well as his website, which is the same.com in the description of this chat. And that's all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Okay. Bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Willem Mendo and the graphics by Luhan Wang. I encourage you to look them up if you've enjoyed their work.